You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you've ever been in a relationship, you learn at some point to just say you're wrong, even when you're not. But there are times that you look back on it and realize, man, I was wrong in every possible way. I don't know if it was a case of the Fridays. I don't know if it's just a case of the stupids. But either way, the last time I sat in front of a mic, I could not have been more wrong about the way the weekend was going to go in the NBA. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Sarah, we're going to start with some straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, because the straight talk is real. On Friday, I was confident. I was absolutely sure of one thing, that the two series that were 2-0, and that would be the Suns and the Mavericks, obviously, in the one series that we were all watching, in Miami and Philly. I was confident that both of those series would be out of hand by the time we came back to air, if not over completely. And instead, the two series <laughs> that I thought were, thought were a sure thing are now tied it to each, and I no longer know what to expect at all. Yeah, I mean, we both just have to suck it up and admit that we were wrong. Uh, but to be fair... All right, all right. There is really no to be fair. At the point that we said this on Friday, we knew that Joel Embiid was going to play. We had done the Phantom of the Opera music, dun, 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 dun. And we had even watched the beginning of that game unfold and said to ourselves, ah, but yes, the key to the heat is, of course, heat culture, which means consistency. They'll react well to Embiid being back. They'll settle down from the initial enthusiasm of Joel getting the crowd all riled up, and they'll win this game. Well, they didn't, and they didn't win the next one either the question of course will be how do we redo our takes on these series now that they are tied 2-2 and will we be dumb again well I mean the answer to will we be dumb again is nine times out of ten yes for me but I stand behind the logic and this is what I always say I've said this to you a few times in the last few months like remember in school when you were required in math to not just show your answer but show how you got there like if we show how I got there particularly on the heat 76ers series, I got there believing in Spolstra, right? And I feel like that was still the sound logic. It did not work for me at all, but it was still <laughs> the sound logic. And now, and, and not believing that Harden could rekindle who Harden has been at his best. And then all of a sudden he has 31, including 16 in the fourth. The Sixers win 116-108. I mean, you're talking about absolute just the, the level of, of smooth that we saw out of Philly made it look easy. And Miami looked like they had no answer for it. I stand by the work. It's just the answer wasn't at all what I expected it would be. I, I agree with you. I think you look at these two veteran coaches and you have one that is known for in-game adjustments and for the great success he's had in difficult close series. And you look at the other in Doc and there's reason to question. I think the same goes for the players. While the Heat don't have the superstar like an Embiid or like Harden was, they have depth. And even if they haven't used all of those players in this series as well as they did in the regular season and earlier, I think there are still more answers for them. In the case of the Sixers, Embiid needs to be good and Harden needs to go off. He has 142 playoff games where he attempted 10 or more threes 40 times and he shot 60% from me on the arc once last night. That was abnormal. That wasn't even the James Harden of old in terms of playoff appearances. Now, his numbers across the postseason look pretty good in the abstract, but they are usually accumulated when his team is up 3-0, 3-1, early in series. The, the elimination numbers and the deep in the series when his team is on the brink numbers are abysmal. He has three different 2-for-11 playoff games. You add all those together, and you can understand why we weren't quite sure if that was the guy to depend on in this situation. Now, last night he proved us wrong. Can he repeat it? 
And, you know, one thing you know is that Harden's always going to give you his thoughts. He was asked at the press conference afterwards what changed in the series headed to game five. This is what the beard had to say. We're, we're getting more confident, you know, as the series goes on. You know what I mean? Like those first two games was, was a blur. Um, but obviously having Joe and having our, our, our full team, um, you know, we kind of know what to expect. We know where to execute on both ends of the ball. Um, you know, it just makes the job a lot easier. You know, think about it, we're still a fairly new team. You know what I mean? We're down to two months in. So, um, you know, when we finally catch a rhythm and fin- finally find something that works, you know, Joe goes out for a couple games. So um, we're finally settling into the series, and uh, we found some great things that'll work tonight and that we can, you know, capitalize on for game five. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, that wasn't the only matchup. Uh, I, I figured that I had it all worked out in my head, Sarah, that uh, the, the plot was just to let Luca do whatever Luca wants to do, and that's <laughs> never going to be enough for the Mavericks to pull off a win. Uh, they were down 2 nothing and, and embarrassed, really, in the first two games. And then all of a sudden, Luca doesn't play as well, and uh, they, they find themselves back in this. I can't believe I'm saying this. Luca doesn't score as much, and suddenly the Mavericks win. This series tied at two each, and I think that might even be more surprising for me. Yeah, Fitz, you know, that's the that's the model we've actually seen um, if you go all the way back to the early days of Michael Jordan, figuring out how to incorporate your teammates and asking those folks to step up and, and watching them show up is the secret. The Mavs are better. They're 2-0 and when, when he scores 30 or fewer and 0-2 when he scores 30 or more. This is something that we talked about in Friday, and it really showed up. This was a supporting cast, and maybe it's not completely replicable. I certainly believe that you can look at that box score and say to yourself, all right, I'm not sure Finney Smith's going to put up 24 on eight made threes again, but Mm -hmm. Brunson was back 18 points. You had Kleba and Bertans at at 11 and 12. You had Dinwiddie at 10. Like I said, uh, you had seen Brunson drop precipitously from the first series of the playoffs to this one, and you had watched Luka do it all on his own. And that wasn't going to work, especially defensively. If you let Luka run around all game getting beat up because they don't have to worry about anyone else, defensively he's become such a liability. The other thing, of course, is not just how the Mavs shot and those guys stepping up. It's Chris Paul being abysmal yet again. The turnovers two games ago, and more fouls than points in this game. He was completely taken out of it. Yeah, and what does it mean moving forward is going to be a difficult question to answer. But Jason Kidd had no problem being a little saucy at the press conference uh, talking about uh, where they should be in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, they're, they're at the party. I think, um, you know, one of the, the big things that we talked about on this journey is that we, we understand Luca's talent and how good he is. But for us to be a team, you know, there's going to be times when other guys are going to have to make shots. They're going to take the ball out of Luca's hands. And you saw that um, this afternoon. Yeah, he was asked if the other guys were at the party because he had said that before. Very gently, sort of, I'm not going to call them out, but... We need yeah. some other guys to show up at Luca's party. And uh, despite that not being the sort of rousing hee-haw that I would expect to hear from uh, Jason Kidd uh, in terms of riling up his team, obviously he's effective in whatever quiet, soft-spoken way he is in those pressers. Uh, somehow back in the locker room it worked because this is a Mavs team that, frankly, we counted outfits, and they are very much back. Yeah, it's a Mavs team that I was ready for everybody to be loud about wasting Luke. And now all of a sudden, they're right back in the thick of it. And I'm just going to quiet down until we see how it plays out. We are bonus time Spain and Fitz tonight, by the way. 
uh, because we're taking you all the way up uh, to the late game tonight. So you got an extra 30 minutes of it. So don't forget, obviously, Boston-Milwaukee going to be tipping off in just a few minutes. We'll keep you updated on that game. Memphis and Golden State going on at 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. You'll be able to check that out. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. No compromise. Coming up, find out why our next guest is not confident at all about Milwaukee's chances tonight and he's somebody that would know that's coming up Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio and the ESPN app Spain and Fitz the podcast Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio the ESPN app at Sirius XM channel 80 Sarah Spain Jason Fitz ESPN radio is presented by Progressive Insurance Progressive can protect your home auto boat motorcycle ATV RV and more in short a lot of things bundled today at Progressive Com. All right, we're going to get some insight on what to expect from tonight's matchup between the Bucks and the Celtics. It has been all drama, and I have loved every second of drama? that. Uh, drama? Yeah, you know, like not, not drama. Drama? Like, uh, no, a step drama? farther than drama is drama. Yeah, oh, like, I was unaware you, of that yeah, escalation. It, it, like down, down in the South, when you get like way past drama, you go to drama. Oh, that, this that's is a, drama. Yeah, so it's, it's a step okay. farther. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, got, it's got everybody's puckered up on it. All right, all right. we'll get some thoughts on it from Gabe Neitzel, co-host of Jen, Gabe and Chewy on ESPN radio uh, always appreciate you hanging out with this game thanks for the time man make sense of what we saw at the end of the last game because it felt like a lot of the game milwaukee had that thing under control and then all of a sudden they didn't what went wrong yeah i think that you what we saw in the fourth quarter was they certainly missed chris middleton first and foremost i mean they had some really bad half court possessions the celtics started making some shots so the bucks weren't able to push out get in transition the way they were able to in the third quarter when they pushed that lead out that they had going into the fourth and, and Middleton for the Bucks, just he, he can, you know, he's that run stopper. A team starts going on the run. They get the ball to Chris Middleton can get to his spot in the mid range, knock down some tough shots. And I think you saw that last year in the run. So first and foremost, I think that's what they missed. Secondly, um, you know, it was just a, it was an interestingly officiated game. And I think everyone's got complaints on both sides. Certainly the Celtics have a complaint after, uh, not getting the, the three free throws they thought that Marcus Smart earned at the end of the game when, when Drew Holiday fouled him. He only ended up getting, up getting two. They still ended up get, getting a couple of looks to potentially tie the game. But uh, in terms of how that one slipped away, I think you really saw the effect of, of not having Chris Middleton. Yeah, and, and we've talked about how that affects particularly their half-court setup. To me, this series depends so much on pace, and the Bucks early on were able to establish their transition points were a huge part of their success. When the Celtics get them into a half-court, that's where it really feels like this could be a bad matchup. Uh, are you able to see a strategy that was working well for those points um, on, on transition and what, what went away or how the Celtics have been able to take that away? Well, I mean, it, it just all comes down to transition. Um, and I think you saw this in game two as well, Sarah, where the Celtics started hitting a bunch of shots. In game two, Jalen Brown was unbelievably hot in the first half, and the Celtics jump out. Well, when you're constantly inbounding the ball, you can't get out and run the way you want. So when the Bucks defense, led by Holiday and, and Wes Matthews, when they're making things tough for Jason Tatum, for Jalen Brown, I mean, Al Horford ended up having a great game in game three. When they're making things hard for those guys, and they're turning it over. They're missing those shots. That's what allows the Bucks to get out and push in transition. And when they get into the half court, honestly, it comes down to Giannis. I think he did a little bit, of, a little bit better job of this in game three, where he wasn't as out of control getting to the basket. I, I think of the, the bucket late he had when they were hunting a switch, got it, Jalen Brown's on him. He starts to drive and then spins past him in order to finish at the rim. Uh, he had another one where – 
he was able to kind of in control in the paint, stop short about five, six feet away, and just a little push shot up over Williams. So um, when it comes to the half court for the Bucks, I think it's Giannis making sure he hunts those matchups because the Celtics don't want to help. They've made that clear since game one. They don't want to help and allow some of the Bucks shooters to get wide open looks from outside. So whoever ends up on Giannis, they want to try to go one-on-one, and he can exploit some of those matchups if they get the right switches. I mean, Gabe, let's be real. The way society treats officials, I would never want to be one anyway, but it's got to be maddening trying to officiate Giannis in general. I keep watching it, trying to figure – it feels like every time he goes at the rim, it could be an offensive foul, it could be a defensive foul, or it could be nothing. I have no idea. How would you assess the job that officials have done figuring out how to call Giannis particularly? I don't think they've done a good job at all because the inconsistency isn't there. Um, I mean, he got to the free throw line uh, double digit. I think it was 11 or 12 times in game three, but he didn't take any in the fourth quarter. He had eight paint shots in the fourth quarter. Apparently didn't get fouled on any of them, but I think it's just a tough job for the officials in this series in particular. Both these teams want to be physical. The Celtics were yelling from the rooftops after they were physical with Kevin Durant. Hey, this is how you have to shut this guy down. You want to get physical. Well, the Bucs are being physical as well when they have Bobby Portis and Giannis and Brooke Lopez defensively, so they want to get up into, uh, and especially you see Drew Holiday and Wes Matthews, they get physical as well, especially for guards. And, you know, I, I think it's just such a physical series back and forth. And uh, I always have to, on my morning show, try to relate things from Mark Chimura back to football just because that's who he is. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it just reminds me of this series, reminds me of the Legion of Boom Seahawks defense where they were just going to be physical and they're like Russ ain't going to call it all the time and I feel that's kind of how both these teams operate defensively hey we're going to get up in you we're going to be physical with you we're going to get a couple fouls here and there but they're not going to constantly call fouls against us because it's going to ruin the pace of the game it's Spain and Fitz here Spain Jason Fitz talking to Gabe Neitzel co-host of Jen Gabe and Chewy on ESPN Milwaukee Gabe uh, you know I try to pride myself on not getting sucked into being old man who yells at a cloud or yells to get off your lawn. But I hate to say it, this postseason and particularly the series is turning me in that direction. I cannot get into a flow of these games and neither can the players because every two seconds is a flop. Someone checking for blood, somebody, you know, yelling at the officials, something getting checked for a flagrant one or two. It, 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 do you feel that way too? Because I think I used to kind of shrug when people would complain. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, this isn't as fun. A hundred percent. And I'm with you. And it's just outside of, I think, Bucks Celtics. I mean, I turn on any NBA playoff game and I mean, people are just falling on the floor constantly. It's like, you know, falling down has become some sort of acceptable way to play defense in the NBA. And I thought back in 2012, 2013, right around there, the NBA tried to disincentivize this where they had fines for guys who were flopping and they seem to have gone away from that. And I think they need to reinstitute that. Mm -hmm. Now it's clearly not going to happen right now during the postseason, but it's certainly something they're going to have to look at because this should be, this should be the most fun, you know, one of the most fun rounds. We've got really good teams, really interesting series, great players in the NBA right now. And yeah, the flow of the game, it's just not as pretty as it should be because guys are just constantly falling down, trying to draw charges and, and, and disrupt the flow of the game that way. So it's certainly something the league will, I think, has to look at. And I think they're going to look at it because the NBA uh, has been a league that when something is wrong and they hear it from their fans, they will take a look at some of these things during the offseason. 
Yeah, Fitz, I heard Brian Windhorst say that uh, it really makes you question the strength and conditioning programs of the teams, and I would argue for sure that there are some uh, strength coaches in the league that are like, stop falling down! I know it's a flop, and I know it's intentional, but you're making my work look like a farce! <laughs> Gabe, real quick before we let you go, your level of confidence is? Not very high. Um, I, I just Ooh. think tonight's going to be another tight one, and as we saw, I mean, in terms of going to overtime, I mean, they were... Point one, point two seconds away from potentially being overtime. I think we get another good one tonight uh, between the Celtics and Bucks. As always, you can check out Jen, Gabe, and Chewy on ESPN Milwaukee. Follow them on Twitter you know, at G Nitzel sixteen. Gabe, always appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the game, and thanks for hanging out with us. Will do. Thanks, guys. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night. Heat hosts the Sixers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at seven p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. All right, Sarah. In fairness. Gabe was like not his confidence level was a little down. It wasn't not at all confident, but right. Still I know a we had chatted with him today, and so your uh, your translation was not at all confident. So I'm glad he had the chance to actually come on the show and clarify that it was not quite. I just don't want people up in his menchies, okay? Look, I have a lot of people up in my menchies today because on Around the Horn, I said I had more faith in the Heat than the Sixers going forward, and apparently that means I have an agenda, and I have been accused of many agendas, Fitz, never before the Heat agenda, but here, add it to the list. Apparently, I I I have many agendas. (laughs) I can't fix the stupid that exists on Twitter. All I can tell you is that if you're stupid enough to think that everything has to be that big, like... That, that's on them. Like, when I was a little kid walking by the signs in New York that said world's best cup of coffee, I didn't really think it was the world's best cup of coffee, <laughs> but it did get me to go in, right? Like, it's just selling the sizzle right So you're right not there. the same as Elf. Yeah, yeah exactly. Congratulations! I am... You did it! <laughs> you did it! It, smell, it! it tastes like a terrible cup Someone of coffee. Someone need a hug. Oh, it's right. That's right. Yeah. You know what? I am Buddy the Elf. I, I thought I was ESPN Giannis Antetokounmpo. I figured out that I'm now ESPN's Buddy the Elf, and I'm not. Wait, which no. part of Giannis did you find any sort of, like, in the Venn diagram, was it, like, human and male? Uh, we both Weird. say tinkle. We oh, both say right. tinkle. That is a fact, and that, uh, that makes me basically Giannis <laughs> within the company. Uh, that, that's, that's all I got. I don't, this is the riveting in, in, input you can only get from us. I, I, I don't know what we're doing anymore. Uh, all right. Never did. We've got a lot to get into with the NBA. The Grizzlies are 20-5 and five without John Morant this season, and that is a reason for positivity. Everybody in Memphis feeling good about 20-5 and five without John this season, but I'm going to tell you why that means absolutely nothing. We'll do that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and as always hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And Fitz, you've worked with me long enough to know that I am pretty on the straight and narrow. I tend to stick to logical, rational arguments. I don't throw things out willy-nilly. I don't yell things just to get people angry, only to forget I said them a week later for the convenience of arguing something different. I tend to just stick right down the middle. But... I have a bit of a conspiracy theory. Are you willing to listen? Oh my God, yes. Okay. So we've got Grizzlies and Warriors tonight, and we don't yet know the status of John Morant. He injured his knee in some way during the game that Golden State won 142-112, and Jordan Poole grabbed his knee allegedly while going for ball, Looked totally fine in regular time, and there was no real reaction from Morant on the play, but in slow-mo, it made it look 
miss you know potentially a little bit underhanded now people are saying jordan Poole was dirty he broke code is what morant tweeted and then deleted hearkening back to steve kerr saying that dylan brooks broke code when he injured gary payton in the second saul is leading up to my conspiracy which is that john morant may very well have some knee injury or soreness we do know that that's what kept him out a significant chunk during the regular season but that Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Grizzlies and the team are building up Wayne, what may not be an actual injury and may not have happened on that play because they want to get back at Steve Kerr's broke code statement and they want to take back public opinion and official opinion when it comes to the playing of this very back and forth, very physical series. Listen very closely to what Taylor Jenkins says when he was asked in an earlier presser on this playing status of John Morant and on the injury and what word he uses to describe it. Jaw was playing great, feeling great all game. And, um, you know, the, the grab of the knee is what triggered uh, the potential injury and why we took Jaw out of the game. So uh, nothing's changed from there uh, in terms of that was the play uh, that triggered this. And, you know, he's got further evaluation going on. That's Jaw who I'm talking about um, with his knee. But from what I've been told right now, there's probably a really good chance he doesn't play tomorrow. Okay. Keep in mind that he said potential injury. Yeah. Have you ever heard anyone describe something as a potential injury? Never. And uh, it's a little interesting because when I hear potential injury, what I immediately think is like, don't we know at this point? Like we should have a pretty good idea on if it's an actual injury right. or potential. Like there's no potential. You could say we don't know the severity of it yet, but you know mm-hmm. whether or not there's an actual injury at this point, right? Right. right. So to follow up on that, he I won't play it for you, but he basically goes on to very carefully and clearly iterate that he is not wanting to get up in narratives around this injury. That's not what this is about. I don't want to get into a who's who and a finger pointing. And this is Jordan Poole while doing all of that, of course. So kind of like me thinks thou doth protest too much, right? It's like, stop saying over and over. You don't want to get into that. If that's in fact, exactly what you're doing. This is all buoyed. My conspiracy theory, my curiousness about the language used by Om Young Masuk's report that just came out on Twitter. He said John Morant didn't go through shoot-around. Asked what injury specifically is, Taylor Jenkins said the injury is still being evaluated. He said Morant underwent an MRI, but he won't say the results. Asked if Morant will try to warm up before game, Jenkins said, still to be determined. Okay, so we got a lot of like, we have no idea what's going to happen and if he's going to play and what's going on. But how could you still evaluate an injury from two nights ago that at the time you said was a potential injury and that there's an MRI, but we won't give the results? Now, you could argue like, hey, in hockey, they say upper body, lower body because they don't want you targeting it. But we already know, allegedly, it's a right knee. Why would you call it a potential injury? Then when asked what it is, say it's still being evaluated. Why wouldn't you say we don't want to get into specifics or I'm not going to give you that information? Everything feels very like this obfuscation feels intentional and strange. And I've just never heard it before. So the argument being then they have created such attention. It's taken attention away from whatever code they may have broken uh, in the past. And now the referees will look at everything differently with John Morant. So that's the, is that the end goal? Like every conspiracy th- theory has to have an end goal. So the end goal is to get Jaw officiated differently and also to take some of the heat off of them for how physically they played the series. Cause that's a pretty damn good end goal. Yes. It's basically is 
we understand that this has been an incre increasingly physical series. We, we are still mad at Steve Kerr for the emphasis he put on what Dylan Brooks did, and particularly when there's other instances with Draymond and others where things have gotten physical. And we want to take back public opinion of our players and how this game is being officiated and remind the officials so that maybe in the back of their heads they blow the whistles differently when Ja is out there or even in general in the series in favor of our team as if they missed a serious moment, a, a, a serious pivot moment, and it's all on them now to make good on it in the next few games. Yeah, I, I actually, there's a lot to like about that theory in general because, uh, look, we've talked about this for years and everything seems to be about getting into the heads of officials. Like that it's weird whether you're watching the game and as you alluded to earlier just the even watching the Bucks Celtics series as we're watching a very disjointed and, and roughly called series, you're thinking everything, every flop is about getting in the official's head. Every press conference is about getting into the minds of officials and what they're calling. So why not in a game where you're getting your butt kicked and you're going to lose anyway, why not go ahead and uh, pull jaw out, uh, turn it into a very, very big thing, and then hopefully get a better advantage when he comes back on the court, which also is going to be this like Superman like spike to energy from everybody when we see jaw come out and, oh, my God, he's actually mm -hmm. playing. Like, it's easy well, to put all of this together. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I kind of like this one. And also, look at the game and the time at which he was pulled. Th this was a, a fantastic, I think it was a 60-50-90 by the Warriors in terms of shooting. Only the second time a team has ever done that in the postseason. They rebounded from a horrific shooting night to absolutely throw down 142 points, okay? This game was well in hand. By the time he was pulled, okay? So if you wanted to sit Morant with a serious injury mm. and then vaguely allude to it being potential to trigger a suspension, because in the meantime, you want the league to look at Jordan Poole's act, decide it was egregious and caused major injury, and therefore he should be suspended. And then thank God it wasn't as serious as we thought. He's back. Let's go. Oh, it, it, look, that's beautiful. If that works, that's beautifully done and also a huge problem. Like a bit of both, right? Like uh, to, to your point, I think, and I understand why hockey does it. You and I have been around that sport enough to, to understand the upper body, lower body injuries. I don't understand and, any yeah, of what you said. Upper actually. body and lower <laughs> body injuries and why they're, uh, why they're so vague in what they do. But it is something that I truly hate. Like I, I wish there was more specificity because it would give you a better idea of how long players are going to be out, you know. Well, in a, hockey, a, it's a lot easier right. to, to like be allowed to literally check someone and aim for somewhere. In, excuse me, in basketball, like it's going to be very clear if you're doing that. Um, and there's a physicality that will be there regardless. So I, I don't think you need to do that. Yeah, well, and there's this moment with the way the NBA is called that the NBA is going to have to look at all of this and ask themselves the question of if this is good long term, right? Like there is usually some level of transparency with injury and to the point that this all started from they've had enough time and enough tests to give us transparency they're simply choosing not to and so now the question becomes why and if that benefits if that benefits somebody who does it benefit and should that be within the scope of the rules these are all questions that i think the nba should be at least watching all of this with a little bit of a watchful side eye saying okay what's happening and how can this create more abusive rules in the future yeah and listen Again, this is very out of my lane, but I think at least the part that almost everyone agrees on, unless you're a Grizzlies fan, Jenkins, or someone on that team, 
is that it did not look like a dirty play in the moment at all. And Morant certainly didn't react like that in the moment. Here's what Jay Williams said on KJ and Max. Was it a play that looked awkward? Yes, I think it looked awkward. But I didn't see that as something as a dirty play. I didn't actually see Ja Morant squeal or complain about that play at that moment, which if you're not complaining about that play at that moment, then wouldn't you complain about a dirty play after a dirty play just occurred? To me, it felt like Ja hurt his knee more so in the closeout going against Clay earlier in that game. But that's me, frankly. I just want guys to stop complaining and just play hoops. You know, like, they were getting blitzed at that time in the game. Golden State was playing better. Yeah, they were going to lose. They were going to lose easily. So, like, my thing, were there dirty plays in the first two games? Yes, there were. But in this game, that to me, it seemed like a basketball type of play yeah and that that's that's why to me it also again I I know I'm grabbing at things here but the language being used is very strange and then the fact that it looked like it was another play where the injury occurred so if you don't see any grimace or reaction from Morant on that play all you have is a replay that makes it look a certain way and you've got a game already out of hand from which you can pull him and start to build this story you know just it doesn't seem all that absurd to me should I also just, I, I got to say quickly, Sarah, like in a world where we've seen little things being said at press conferences turn into big differences, I think it has changed the way all of us view anytime somebody says anything in a press conference. Like potential injury is not the same as injury. So now we have to ask ourselves a question of why, because, you know, immunized is not the same as vaccinated. And that's mm-hmm. a difference that, that I think is going to hit everybody for a long time in how we absorb what coaches and athletes say at press conferences. Totally agree. And, you know, my apologies to Jenkins if he just isn't the most articulate or can't speak exactly what he means and didn't mean to say potential injury. My thought is potentially more uh, it slipped and he didn't mean he didn't mean to say that and lead me down this path. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Warriors host the Grizzlies presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern right here on most ESPN radio stations right after this extra large Spain and Fitz is over. It was an eventful weekend across sports and there's so much to get to beyond the NBA we've talked about so we'll recap it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, I've got a story for you, Fitz. And you know I'm not into horse racing. I think it's cruel and should be banned, but the derby was wild and some of the stories coming out of it are wild when the horse has longer odds to be in the race than he does once he's in the race because he's not even supposed to be in it just unbelievable it's spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 espn radio is presented by progressive insurance we're going to get back into all of the nba playoff action so much more to get to two games on the slate we'll get you updated on how those are going as uh, as as the first one gets going and preview the second and uh and lots to do but there was a full weekend of sports and when we have to cram it all in there's only one way to do it Woo! quickies with spain and fitz we get in and out of topics fast yeah i apologize for the phrasing uh, let's just start with the derby since we were there so rich strike an 80 to 1 odds horse wins it all this horse wasn't even supposed to be in the race there was another horse that got pulled and in comes rich strike back 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 in the 20 horse field beats the four to one favorite epicenter by three quarters of a length and i was listening to waddle and silva here in chicago today espn 1000 and a guy called in and basically said he had a free bet from a local establishment and they said if you win it you win if you lose you'll get that money in an in a bet that stays in and they basically wanted to encourage new new users to fill in their credit card information get on the app get going so he's talking to his wife about it and he's like i don't know the horses that well she says well if you don't really know anyway put it on the longest odds 
And then it's like, it's a free bet anyway. You can make a ton of money instead of just a couple bucks if you bet one of the favorites. So I don't think so. They go back and forth, back and forth. Finally goes, okay, you're right. I'll do it. Goes off to work, bets on a different horse. They come home. They're watching the race together. He has not yet told his wife that he did not take her advice and he did not, in fact, bet on the horse like he said, Rich Strike. So they're watching it and it gets to the end. Rich Strike wins. She's pumped and thinks because she doesn't gamble based on looking at the numbers that they have won $160 on the bet. He unfortunately had to let her know that, first of all, he did not bet on the horse, she said, as he promised. But also, no, in fact, it was a $200 bet, and the way the odds were, it would have been $16,000 payout. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, that, you just leave. You just leave the house. That's at a that told point. you so times I mean, a billion T. That's, that's not like, that's... Uh, did you do the dishes? Sure did. Get home. You didn't. I told you so. Well, that's a, you lost $16,000 for not listening to me. Every single time you make her mad for the rest of your marriage, that's going to come up. Like, that's just <laughs> the one that's just going to haunt you. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I can't even imagine that moment. I will say more money than ever was bet on the Kentucky Derby this year, which speaks to the success that gambling is having with all of these apps and all of these abilities. I lost 50 bucks. You know, I, I tried. I lost 50 bucks. Congratulations. So yeah. There we go. Just I mean, that's day. one of the only things that's keeping horse racing alive is that people yep. love to bet on it and wear pretty hats, and they like to ignore the fact that thousands of horses die every year. Next story. Mm-hmm. Quickies. Speaking of things people are more into, F1, right? We talked about this last week and the Drive to Survive Netflix special that has everybody interested because it's a soap opera. Storylines, fascinating characters, and getting to know a sport that otherwise you might not know the stakes and the stories of. Well, Grand Prix in Miami absolutely blew even expectations that folks had of the burgeoning sport out of the water. Max Verstappen wins, which of course is great for them. They want a big name. They want a storyline that people have been following. Um, And then you've got the stars that came out. Uh, There's a picture. It's just, it's just Jordan Beckham, Brady, and Lewis Hamilton. And it's like goat, 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 goat. Um, Pretty incredible. Now I know Beckham's not the goat of soccer in terms of actual skill, but in terms of like soccer times hotness plus impact, he's up there. Yeah, well, I, I, yes, he is. I would. I mean, let's just be real. Uh, you would. I, yeah. I, 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 I mean, would. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. uh, <laughs> percent. No, I, I think F one to to the point of the Derby, and actually, in a lot of ways, I thought eclipsed the Derby with star power and uh, the way everybody reacted to it. My uh, my buddy JC from InSync was out there, and uh, he was uh, texting me from it and said it was the most star-studded event he'd seen in years, and everybody seemed to flock to it. Miami, all reports was a fantastic host. We did some really cool things on the broadcast. Shout out to Gary Streisky and Spencer Hall and uh, Katie George. They did a great job on those shows. And I I really, I watched it and I was mesmerized by it. So I I am officially all in for anybody that hasn't paid attention. There will be a a race in Vegas uh, next fall. So I'm already angling my way in. But interestingly, I looked it up. That race is going to start at 10 p.m. local time. So it will be on in the morning overseas and it will take place in the neon like on the strip with all of the bright lights of las vegas behind it the east coast here will hate that but my god it's gonna look cool so now i'm trying to get in on that i'm weaseling my way of course you are of course course. you are anything Uh, vegas i like that you do get to claim multiple cities you claim vegas you claim nashville you claim connecticut you claim memphis sometimes any others no, uh, I think that 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 pretty much <laughs> holds. It. That, that, okay, and, good, and by the good, way, good. apologies to our good buddy Kevin Clark because I I tweeted out and I was like, hey, I really need to know F one podcast. Like, I want to become an expert on this. And the number of people that tweeted me was like, you should really check out Kevin's podcast. To which he was like, 
Excuse me, sir. I can't keep up with all the podcasts, all right? I try. <laughs> Duh. It's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're doing quickies to talk about everything that went down over the weekend. Uh, speaking of Vegas and your attachments, uh, your Vegas Aces off to a good start as the WNBA got underway. Big win over the storm in what could absolutely be a preview of what's to come. I mean, really, those two teams, and it was it was tighter throughout than at the end as the Aces uh, as the Aces really clicked and, and stormed to the finish, uh, no pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. But that was a matchup that we're likely to see in the postseason as well. And the Sparks beating my Chicago Sky, Chicago should have won that game, made a terrible error on an inbounds giveaway, and it ended up going to overtime. And Jordan Canada and the Sparks put them away. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of good games to start off. And there was a lot of energy fits. We've been talking about this. Sold-out arenas, great ability to watch across streaming and ESPN channels and networks. Um, So, really, really hot start to the 26th season. Well, and even shout-out to some of the bars here uh, in Connecticut when I was uh, going out to watch a little of the NBA and I wanted the Derby at the same time. Walked in and the brewery had uh, they had the Connecticut Sun versus New York Liberty right up there for everybody and I was like this is a, awesome. this is a big moment like when you're coming in and it's on the main screens with everybody that's part of the important part and you're right the Aces offensively been much better than I expected early in the season I am I am starting to get a little excited starting to get, uh, big win talk. for the Liberty by the way uh, they beat the preseason one of the favorites the Connecticut Sun. Uh, Sabrina, 25 points, six assists. She got hurt early in her rookie season, was disappointed by last season. And this, if this is the way she starts off this third year, she has something to prove. And she's been thinking about the people who said, well, maybe she doesn't have it. Maybe that was just a college thing. So pretty cool. All right, let's story. Quickies. Very quickly, Chris Woodward, uh, Ranger skipper, takes a jab at Glaber Torres' walk-off homer and calls Yankee Stadium a Little League ballpark, sort of after the game said, oh, shrug, that's an easy play to make pretty much anywhere else. Meanwhile, it would have been a home run at 26 other ballparks fits, and two of the Rangers' home runs in that series were shorter than Glaber's. So he self-owned and They had to come out and be like, I was just joking. It didn't really work out. <laughs> I love the awareness there. Like that, that's everybody can <laughs> the laugh. Stats, at that. man, good. it's stat. Like you're not playing like rec league, and you're like, hey, man, that was a cool hit. But like, there's that tree in the way, and anywhere else, I would have gotten the catch. This is MLB. <laughs> like they're gonna have the stats to tell you that it would have been a home win everywhere else too. People are watching this, Chris Woodward. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Uh, we're just a couple hours away from Grizzlies Warriors. Can the Warriors compete? Uh, can the Grizzlies compete if Ja can't play? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz. Might as well sit back, get yourself comfy, put on your comfy pants, kick up your feet and get ready. It's an extra long version of Spain and Fitz tonight as we take you all the way up to Memphis at Golden State. That game at 10 p.m. Eastern, and you'll be able to hear it on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we've got a lot to get to. And what we knew was going to be an exciting series, what we didn't know it was going to become a drama-filled, drama, as I said earlier, uh, filled mm-hmm. series. We've got all sorts of physicality. We've got all sorts of code-breaking. We've got rules that all of a sudden are willy-nilly. We're throwing all caution to the wind, so we'll get some expertise on what to expect and what it looks like looked like so far. Plus, I'm going to learn how to speak. That's all mm-hmm. happening tonight. Evan Barnes joining us now, sports reporter for the Commercial Appeal. Evan, appreciate your time. We've been talking about John Morant, Jordan Poole. What was your take on the play that has people so up in arms? 
Well, honestly, I thought the play was really just unfortunate. I mean, I didn't think it was something that was intentional. I don't think even in the moment, you know, we all thought it was a play that was, you know, dirty or looks bad. But, you know, you see the replay. It looked like Poole and Morant knocked knees before uh, Poole was trying to go for a loose ball and then grab Morant. Obviously, the Grizzlies believe that the play was intentional. Um, the Warriors denied it. And so basically now game four, you know, that's all been kind of like the surrounding drama behind it. Just like this whole series has just kind of been a whole lot of drama, as you guys said. So it's, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens. Obviously, John Moran, his status has not yet been announced, but he's listed as doubtful. So there's a good chance he probably will not play tonight. All right, I've got a conspiracy theory. And I want you to know because we don't – I don't know that we've talked before – I don't usually have conspiracy theories. This is not my go-to, but I, I want to offer this up to you. Is it possible, based on the language that's been used, like potential injury, and now not revealing what the injury is or anything about the MRI or anything about his status, that they pulled him with the game already out of hand, let everybody know and think it's a serious injury, even if it may not be, specifically caused by pool to try to get the refs to suspend pool? And that's why their language and behavior around it has been so strange. Can you think of another reason why they would have called it a potential injury? <laughs> that actually is a great uh, conspiracy, Sarah. I, Thank I you. never thought about that. Um, that that is some creativity. Um, I, you know, I, I can't. I don't know. I I, I just know this. If, if John Moran could play tonight, he absolutely would. Um, I don't think the Grizzlies would be kind of trying to like place. You know guessing with John Moran because obviously he's so important to this team and what he does on the floor. Um, I think they are just basically trying to just say, hey, they're trying to hold on as long as they can. The Grizzlies typically um, have taken their time with injury designations. Uh, when Dylan Brooks got hurt, um, there were reports about how long Brooks was out, but the team didn't say how long he was out. Um, so it just kind of is, you know, the Grizzlies have kind of been this, you know, very cautious team with that. And so that's why you probably have this whole, you know, will he or won't he play when Taylor Jenkins pretty much made clear, if you look at his words, Probably not going to see John Moran tonight. No, look at all that logic and reason. He's Evan Barnes, sports reporter for the Commercial Appeal at Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All right, Grizzlies fans, quick to point out, they're twenty and five without Josh. So it doesn't matter. What does that actually mean when they're taking on a team like Golden State? Well, it's interesting because when they when they did out John Morant, what worked for them was just team depth. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. became a defensive force. Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain were like a one-two tag team of scoring from the perimeter. Tyus Jones showed why he's one of the best backup point guards in the league. I mean, I think everyone just collectively raised their game, and the Grizzlies tend to shoot better um, for some reason without John on the floor. But that's all going to be a different story in the playoffs where you're facing a team that knows you a little bit more. Um, they did beat the Warriors without John Morant, but that Warriors team did not have Steph, Clay, or Draymond Green. Both teams are kind of resting some players. So that really wasn't like a win at a full-strength Warriors team. So uh, it gives the Grizzly fans confidence, but it's really going to take everyone kind of picking their their, uh, their load up and basically saying, hey, if you can prove that you're better without John Morant, which a lot of the teams, you know, have said about this team, if you can do that, cool. But we'll see what happens, you know, when push comes to show because the Grizzlies got to treat this basically like a quasi-elimination game. Evan Barnes of the Commercial Appeal is with us here on Spain & Fitz. You can follow him at Evan underscore B. The swing from game two to game three for the Warriors was incredible. They shot 35 percentage points better 
18% from three in game two, the worst in franchise history, and they went all the way up to 53% in that third game. What did you see defensively from game two to three that might explain that, or was that simply a matter of the Warriors correcting because they're a good shooting team and game two was an anomaly? I think two things. One, the Warriors probably benefited from those three days of rest because as the older team, um, they looked refreshed. I think Clay Thompson went from having two quiet games to having the best game he's had in the series. I think that rested him really well. So I think the rest helped the Warriors, but I also think the Grizzlies were just being spread out on the floor. I think Golden State was just moving the ball so well, and the Grizzlies were lost on rotations. I mean, it was almost like target practice out there. It was almost good shots, easy shots, and it was just a case of, hey, how much better can these guys shoot? Because it was almost like just an exhibition, almost like, hey, we're just going to go out here, splash away, and have one big pool party. It's like the terms everyone's losing <laughs> through the series, you know, pool party slash brothers. But that, I think that, that rest really helped them. The rest, the home crowd, the Grizzlies having probably their worst defensive night of the season, in my opinion, because usually they're really good closing out on shooters. They didn't do a good job of that. They gave up too many easy baskets inside. So I expect today, if anything else, without John Morant, they're going to focus on just at least, hey, we're going to try to be a better defensive team. And then if they hit shots, they hit shots. But at least – we're not going to be embarrassingly bad rotating to the ball. Evan, it feels like one of the strengths of this Memphis team to me has been their ability to just come out and play every night without the heavy pressure on it. It feels like sometimes they're just out there having a blast. Is there some moment here where they need some experience to be able to figure out how to power through this? Uh, I, I think that looseness actually might kind of help them tonight. Like I said, that you know this might be a quasi-elimination game, but if they lose, you know their backs are really against the wall. But the Grizzlies have thrived on that. They've thrived on people betting against them they've thrived on kind of just that hey we know we got nothing to lose here let's just go that's really been kind of the hallmarks of this being a young team where hey they don't feel that pressure but now i think it's going to rely on them saying hey we've been in this situation without john morant before let's relax let's take care of business let's execute let's not try to get it all back at once with scoring but let's just do what we need to do take care of our business and if they play relaxed tonight if they don't play rush like you have to play some level of desperation but they play relaxed and not try to you know throw as many punches right away they'll have a chance because they do kind of have that sense of hey we're playing with house money here let's just go out there do what we do instead of trying to like over worry overthink things and i think that's where a young team comes in where you don't have to overthink a situation you just kind of react to it it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking about Grizzlies Warriors, which will be right here on ESPN Radio after we're done. Late show tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Evan Barnes from the Commercial Appeal is with us. Does it benefit uh, one team or the other if the game becomes less physical, if the officials early on keep this from continuing the way we've seen it start? Um, I think for me, the Grizzlies probably want this to be a physical game because, to me at least, if the Grizzlies make this more physical – um, that benefits them because you want to make this Warriors team work a little bit more. Thank you so much. Um, you want to make this team work so you want to make this team work harder. You want to make this team, you know, get off their game. And I think that benefits the Grizzlies more. They want it to be a physical defensive game while the Warriors have typically relied on that finesse. So I think if it's more physical, that favors the Grizzlies a little bit more. Follow him on Twitter at Evan underscore B. Check him out on the commercial appeal. Evan, appreciate your time and your insight. Enjoy the game. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Y'all be good. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can help you protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, and RV, and more. And if something wasn't mentioned that you had in mind, find out if it could be covered. All you got to do is go to Progressive.com or check out 1-800-PROGRESSIVE because it probably can be. All right. 
Everybody's talking about the MVP. How about this? Stop blaming Nikola Jokic and start blaming the NBA. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Boston started off slow, but they are now up by one on Milwaukee. 635 to go in the second. They're up 34-33. Sarah, I'm going to give you a story you didn't ask for on that Bon Jovi song that just brought us back in. Right, uh, right, that right. was the beginning of Born to Be My Baby. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, that video was playing one day. And I'd never had MTV. We, didn't, we, we, we couldn't afford that stuff. Come on now. And uh, we were living in a house where we got like a free trial on cable for a little bit. So we, we had it. And I remember my brother, who's a little older than I am and was much cooler than I was, like the the video started and he just started talking about how much he hated the band. Like he just hated Bon Jovi because hmm. he was like he was into like uh, the the Cure and the Smiths and Depeche Mode and like weird like eighties like not weird but like eighties angst stuff, right? And so he's like, this band's the worst. And I was sitting there, I wanted to be cool to my big brother. I was like, oh my god, I hate him. And the whole time I'm like, but I really like this song. So that song <laughs> is actually the song that quietly made me like a a very very quiet Bon Jovi fan because I had to wait till he wasn't around till I could actually admit that I liked the band. There you go. Fun fact. Uh, Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Always be Fitz. honest about the things yeah. you like, even if they're trash. Just own it. Just be original. Be unique. Be yourself. It's okay. I've learned that now. I mean, it, that wasn't me when I was, you know, 12. Unless but that, it's that's me back. now. That's Keep that to yourself. Uh, Nickelback is an enigma to me because everybody says they hate them, <laughs> but they sell out every arena. I don't know. Well, and we like, all know think... all the words because we've been forced to listen to, look at this photograph, like 8,000 <laughs> times. Oh, I have no idea how to transition us to NBA news, but there's a lot going on in the NBA, so we're going to get caught up on some big things that are happening across the league, not the least of which is the Sacramento Kings. Uh, They are still a basketball team for anyone that has lost track, and now they have a new coach, which uh, (laughs) is not always – I mean, that that is just just making sure everybody knows. So uh, Mike Brown, the Golden State Warriors assistant coach, said, why be a part of a winner if I can go to Sacramento? (laughs) So – He's finalized a four-year deal uh, where he is going to be the new head coach. So uh, there, there is the – this is the – I love this. The Kings have a clear organizational mandate and the longest playoff drought in NBA uh. history. It's only been 16 years. Yeah. Like there are, there are kids with driver's licenses that didn't know that the Kings were even eligible for the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, they thought there was some weird rule that just uh, disallowed them from postseason competition. <laughs> I like the challenge he's giving himself. That's a nice way to put it. Like you said, longest playoff drought in NBA history. If you're going to bring someone in, he's got the bona fides. His assistant coaching has been under Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, which is tough to do better than that. And he's got eight seasons of head coaching experience before that. So, um, you know, whether or not you thought he did the the right thing with the Cavs and the Lakers, he was at one time the NBA coach of the year with the Cavs. And I, I think this is someone who's got the gravitas and time and tenure in the league to, to bring to somewhere and hopefully change that culture. I have to ask, though, because, you know, Mark Jackson was a finalist, according to many, for this job and then did not get it. Are you angry at that spot? Like a, a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 16 years said, no, thanks, we'll go in another direction? Or are you quietly relieved and you're waiting for a different opportunity to get into that? <laughs> uh, I think you have to ask them that in a couple of weeks when we see how the rest of the positions around the league shake out and if there's something else to go for. Yeah, that's probably fair. All right. Uh, that's not the only thing going on right now. And. Uh, we laugh about these things. We can laugh at ourselves, and we can laugh at our brothers and sisters that do great work for ESPN, including all the people that today reeled off their hot ta- hot takes after finding out that Jokic has been named the NBA's MVP. It's expected, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, he will become the 14th player in NBA history to win MVP multiple times and the second straight 
winner to go back-to-back after Giannis did it in 2018, 19, and 1920, which has caused everybody to go off, Sarah, but you have got the right take on this. Yeah, listen, I just, I get it. It's so fun to debate MVP. We did it literally all season. I think it was probably September or October when the first MVP front runner conversation happened. Well, it is months later. The regular season is over. And I want to remind everyone, this is a regular season award. Now, the reason I have to remind you is because checking the calendar, it's May 9th. We are halfway through the second round of the postseason. And this is when they are choosing to announce this, which allows people to use arguments based on postseason games to argue a regular season award. And if the NBA wants to continue adding weight to a regular season that has lost it in recent years with DNPs and, you know, they're looking into potential regular season tournaments, in-season tournaments to bring some weight back to the regular season, giving this award now does not do that. Giving this award allows people to use disingenuous arguments like, look at what happened to the Sixers in this series when Embiid was out. He's clearly the MVP. When there is no corollary on the other side, we don't have the evidence of what it would look like if Jokic was out in the same series at the same time. And it shouldn't matter because, again, this is a regular season award. Now, the MVP fits will always be plagued by semantics. Is it the best player in the league? Is it the best player on the best team? Is it somebody's quote-unquote turn? Because we're not going to give the same player the award over and over again, even if they deserve it, like Michael Jordan and LeBron James at times in his career. All of those are argued every single year. What should not be argued is when they give the award, which should be immediately when the regular season ends, when we were all ooing and eyeing about the numbers that Jokic put up that were un deniable how his team fares in the postseason is irrelevant to whether he's an MVP in the regular season which he was and if you want to argue and beat sure there's some arguments there usually they're going to be eyeball test and not based on statistics because Jokic blew everyone away in that category I'll talk about it with you but if you include a single do- a com- comment about the postseason and that argument I am shutting down and I'm ending it let's blame the NBA fit I well look the smart thing there that really blows my mind is the concept of why they can't almost immediately tell you like we live in a world where virtually anything can be done virtually, right? Like there, there's got to be a way to set up a website, have everybody log in, give their votes, and heck, by the end of the the last night of the regular season, you could open up a 24-hour window, tell everybody today's voting day, and then bam, have the results that night. Like why wait weeks? And also, I honestly think to your point, it would make the MVP feel more special if it was given in a small gap between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs, even if it's just one or two days. Give that award right there, which keeps all of the interest and hype, lets you hype up the fact that he is the MVP, whoever Mm -hmm. he is, going into the playoffs, but also lets the MVP have a little bit of shine because, frankly, now when you announce these things, yeah, Yeah. I mean, now it becomes... It's actually unfair to him that it's like, congrats, you're the MVP, and if it was like, boo, he sucks, he's not even playing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, like I, the the other part of the MVP argument that I, I I know this doesn't make for great radio sometimes, but like, okay, like Mike Hood is an acceptable answer here. Like, it's okay to say, hey, there's a compelling case to be made for a lot of different people that could have been the MVP, and people that vote may have different opinions than all of us on it, and that's probably like I don't think there's a wrong answer Fitz, in the you're MVP. New to this like, business, I know, I know. Fitz, I know. you just said we should just say agree to disagree, agree about, to disagree. A, about a sports hot take. I mean, I'm just this saying. This is why we're never making it to first take. That is, that's fair. You know what? <laughs> Forget it. Jokic never should have been the MVP. It's yeah. trash, and he doesn't deserve. No, I, I think that there's this fine line where it's like, hey, 
instead of looking at it and saying one person doesn't deserve it, look at it and say, hey, there, there were a lot of good candidates this year. And yeah, voters I mean, and that's made- how we talked about it all yeah. year, right? We yeah. talked about how you absurd it was. And the statistics and the, uh, the, the opportunity for the top, I think, five or six players to have hit marks that in every single previous season would have won you an MVP. That's just the competition this year. And I, again, this debate to me is a healthy and fair debate about MVPs. The problem is, is that the the arguments defending someone's decision of Embiid are completely skewed by bringing in an unrelated topic, which is literally anything that happens in the postseason. Yeah, and that's the the weirdest part of all of it. Like the league could step into your point by changing the voting principle or the voting the voting process. Or by changing and being very clear about what they're looking oh for, why they're looking for, and how they're looking for it. Like, they could force clarity in a lot of different ways. They just- I, got some, uh, I got some breaking news for you, by the way, real quick. Yes. The Warriors have said news. Steve Kerr tested positive for COVID-19 and will miss tonight's game, so Mike Brown will be the coach. Oh, my God. Mike Brown. Gonna Mike get Brown, one the last- head coach of the Kings. <laughs> He's going to get one last coach. Like, this is Steve Kerr's fine. He's just turning around and saying, hey, you should get one more chance at an actual stake before you go eat gristle uh, the rest, right. the rest right. of your time. Uh, uh, we will keep you updated on what else we can find out with uh, Kerr and, and what that means next for Golden State, obviously, as we will get you caught up on all the NBA action. Tune in to the ESPN Daily podcast. I'll tell you about that later. Never mind. How, how have the 76ers and Mavericks <laughs> ended even up their respective series? We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. ESPN Radio is presented by Nickelback and Progressive <laughs> Insurance. <laughs> Uh, let's get into some more NBA playoff talk. Senior writer and podcaster for basketballnews.com, Etan Thomas, joins us now. Etan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Apologies for the nickelback. It's a long story. Uh, let's talk about this. I have a conspiracy theory about Jordan Poole and John Morant and quote-unquote potential injuries, but uh, I, I'm more interested in what that effect might be going forward, and we don't know yet the status of Jaw for tonight, but in terms of physical play, does any team benefit from it settling down a bit or from it ramping up in terms of physical nature? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of tough because, you know, the refs have been pretty interesting. I, I can say it that way. Interesting, <laughs> this, this whole playoff series, mm-hmm. um, the entire playoffs. You see some of the calls that are made, and, you know, they're able to go to the replays. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of call that is. You know what I mean? It, it, it just happens over and over again. But, um, you know, it, it, it kind of just depends on how the refs are calling it. Uh, I think the, the they're playing the way that they're playing. Of course, you don't want to see anybody uh, get hurt or anything like that. But, you know, it's playoff basketball. So, you know, I think they just got to let them play. So do you think that the ending of the game and, and this injury will have any impact on the way tonight's game is officiated? Ah, I don't, I, that's a good question. I mean, when you have a superstar that gets injured. Um, and he's out now. Way- we, are, we are officially getting word that Ja will be out, which absolutely proves my conspiracy theory to be wrong. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you just really hate to see that happen, especially a player of his caliber mm-hmm. and how he was playing and the way that the, you know, the momentum was, was going their way. and The entire series was, was, was just a great series. So you really hate to see that happen. Um, you know, would that change the officiating? I, you know, your guess is as good as mine. We'll have to wait and see. It's just an unfortunate incident for it to happen. I don't know if it was, act, you know, accidental or if it was breaking the code or anything like that. I, I really don't know, but it's just unfortunate. 
Yeah. Fifth. Uh, well, yep. go ahead, sir. No, no, you're up. Uh, no, I, I wasn't. We go back and forth. I asked the last one, but we got very confused. My bad. I'm sorry. Uh, I missed no, that. That, that's okay. Uh, so Sarah and I started this weekend uh, really confident about two particular series. Uh, obviously, the 2-2-0 series we were confident would uh, turn out to be blowouts, and now they're both at 2-2. So uh, what should we make of this Philly Heat series? How did they get back in it? What's it mean moving forward? You know, it's interesting because I kind of thought the Philly was kind of dead in the water as well. And then um, Joel Embiid came back. And, you know, I, I just have to say the way, and this is no, you know, slight to anybody else, you know, anybody else named Jokic. Um, but I just think that um, Joel Embiid has been phenomenal this season. You know, I, I, if there was a way for them to give co-MVPs, I, I would have said this could have been the year. Um, the way that he has played, the way he's kept his team together, um, the entire year through the whole Ben Simmons thing. And, you know, now just the way that his, his statistically he's at his, at his best. And remember, you know, for a few years, people were ready to write Joel Embiid off, you know, where he, he couldn't really get healthy. They could see the potential there, but he just wasn't getting over the hump and showing what everybody thought that he can show. And they're really ready to write him off. But he has been really phenomenal this year. Um, so, yeah, I would say the, the return of Joel Embiid changed the entire series. Of his presence there, he wasn't the Joel Embiid before the injury, but he was he was still you know someone who really created a a, a difference just even with his presence. So I, yeah. I mean I can't say enough good things about Joel Embiid this year. I, I think he really has been phenomenal. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see if the players around him, particularly James Harden, can repeat that performance even as they as they head back on the road. Etan Thomas is with us. You can follow him at Etan Thomas thirty six on Twitter. The other series that Fitz and I thought was mostly over is is the Mavs Suns and the Mavs have tied it up two two. When you look at Chris Paul in the last two games, turnovers, fouls, ineffectiveness, what are you seeing and how do you line that up with those games we saw earlier in this in this postseason where he looks so dominant? Well, I mean, it's been two different Chris Pauls, to be honest with you. You know, you have one where they're calling him point guard, and he, you know, looks absolutely incredible in defying time and father time. He might have beaten them, all those different things. And then the next few games, you know, you see the complete opposite. I think that's just kind of the nature of a long series. Um, you know, I really hate to see what happened with his family. I hope they get that kind of a taken care of because that, that really can't happen where your family doesn't feel safe. But, you know, he, I, he has proven himself to be, um, you know, the, the, one of the elite point guards, um, you know, maybe even in history. But those playoff, you know, his playoff performance has been called into question sometimes. And sometimes in the past they've been due to injury, due to just, you know, things kind of, you know, out of his control. But he's going to have to bounce back and play a lot better in order for, you know, Phoenix not to let this one slip away. They need him to be the Chris Paul that we saw earlier when uh, he was being referred to as the point guy. I mean, so make it make sense. We've seen two games where Phoenix was totally dominant and two games where they just didn't look like they were, knew what they were doing. For the rest of the series, how does it play out? Who do you got? I mean, that's tough. You know, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. It depends on who shows up and who is playing well, you know, um, you know, that night, I mean, it's a game of chess matches. And I don't know, you know, by, by now when it's 2-2, you know, everybody's pretty much showed their hand. So there, there isn't any more surprises, so to speak. But, um, you know, you just need the, the players to do what they do. So, like I said, we need Chris Paul to be the Chris Paul of the first two games. And, um, 
you know, everything kind of starts with him. But, yeah, I mean, on the other end, you know, Luka's playing playing great. You know, he, 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 he improved his defense a little bit. He, I mean, not that he's a defensive stopper now, but he improved it to what it was before. Before, I thought his defense was pretty much lacking. And Jason Kidd even, even said that um, his defense could be a little bit better. You know, he, may, he chose his words wisely, you know, and carefully because he didn't want to, you know, call out his superstar too much. But, yeah, he needed to step it up on defense. That's, that's what it boils down to. So that's, that's what happens on the playoffs. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Etan Thomas, senior writer and podcaster for BasketballNews.com is with us. Uh, we just got the news shortly before you joined us that Steve Kerr is out with COVID tonight. And as at Bryson Wright 3 pointed out, Mike Brown will be the first Kings head coach to coach a playoff game since 2006. So oh, congratulations savage. to the Kings. Uh, how big of a deal do you think it is that they won't have Steve Kerr tonight, even if the Grizzlies don't have jaw? Wow, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, no, you take away the, the, the head coach, and that definitely is going to have an impact on the team. Um, you're used to one voice. You're used to one, you know, main person who's giving a strategy. So uh, that definitely is going to take, you know, take its toll and, and play a difference. So that'll be interesting to see how that how that really plays out. Is, is that enough to sway you on how you think this game plays out? Um, it's going to be difficult without John Morant, to be honest with you. Um, that's their, that's their leader. That's who they've been going through. And he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, this playoff series and last playoff series. Um, but we've seen stretches in uh, a time when the, the team kind of rallied around when jaw was, was out of the lineup uh, during the regular season and they played good basketball. Um, is it enough to be able to be Golden State? I'm not sure, but uh, I wouldn't count them all the way out. I'll say it that way. Awesome stuff, Etan. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the games. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me. Etan Thomas, senior writer, podcast for basketballnews.com. Follow him at EtanThomas36. Uh, you can tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, is what Fitz is going to tell you about earlier, bringing you a deep sure. dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Today you would have gotten Wendy, Brian Windhorst, talking to Pablo Torre about all the postseason tourneys, uh, I guess, uh, uh, matchup series so far in the NBA. Good primer ahead of tonight's games. We'll give you an update on Bucks celtics uh, we'll let you know where that is at the half and break down the games we saw over the weekend. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 8, ESPN Radio is presented by Def Leppard. Uh, the Bucks are up <laughs> on the Celtics, 48-47 at the half. This is a tight one. Fitz, what we've seen so far, um, you know, it's exactly kind of what I, what I expected, which is, you know, these teams are extremely well matched in part because their defense is so good. You are not going to get easy stuff. What we saw early in that series, that first game where the Bucks looked so dominant, so much of that came from missed shots, Celtics shooting poorly and transition buckets. When you make this a half court back and forth and these defenses have time to set up and lock in, oof, this is tough. Yeah, and I, I continue to say this is a difficult – and, I, like, I'm not one to sit here and apologize for officials. They know what they're getting into when they take the gig. But this is a really difficult series to officiate because there is so much defense being played and everybody's trying to figure out how to handle Giannis. And I, I just mm. don't know. Like, I kept watching the game the other day thinking almost every play, if, if you were sitting between a Bucks fan and a Celtics fan – 
they'd be yelling that was a foul on right. every play from right. the exact opposite way. And I don't know how you call. I don't know how you're supposed to call it. I, I, I sat there and thought, man. There's no way I could figure out, you know, was the defender set? Because by the time you think you're set, then you have a truck come down and take you out of right. your, off your feet. Like, what are you supposed to do? So I, I don't know how it's supposed to be officiated. Kudos to the officials trying to keep this thing uh, under wraps. But, man, uh, this is a defensive struggle. Every one of these games is going to come down to the last second. I love every, every ounce of this series, but I, I have no idea who the favorite should be at this point. And interesting with those last-minute reports, the complaints from people about this call or that call going one way or the other, and I agree that can be really frustrating, especially if the NBA does come out and say we got it wrong. But the number I was looking at was 16 and a half minutes. The last 16 and a half minutes of the last game, the Celtics had 17 free throws and the Bucks had zero. Mm. So the Celtics can tell you all they want, that they thought it was a shooting foul and that was it, or this was, should have been an inbounds of five-second in the end, it, it wasn't about the calls. You had the opportunity to make shots. You had the opportunity to stop shots. And as frustrating as that can be, I think you focus on that instead of looking at the officials. But we've spent a lot of time looking at officials across all of the series fits. There's been a lot of flopping. There's been a lot of checking for blood. There's been a lot of let's look at this 1,100 times for flagrant one versus flagrant two. And it's affected all the series. I think what we just talked about with the Mavs, and, and Chris Paul, I think some of that has to be fatigue at his age. And I think that the Mavs have done a great job of taking it to Chris Paul the same way that they've been taking it to Luca. They understand that fitness-wise and defense-wise, if he has to do everything and they can tire out Luca on every screen, on every rebound, on every point of, of contact, they can make it tough for him and tire him out. They have a good chance of beating Dallas. I think Dallas figured that out and they're doing the same to Chris Paul because turnovers and lazy fouls are often the result of fatigue. And he's an older guy, I, and I'm interested to see what a little bit of a break will do in him coming back and trying to redo uh, what's been terrible outings from him in the last two games. Yeah, and I think the Luca point's a really smart one, too. Thinking back to the last round when he came back from injury, the first thing that all of our guys were saying that were covering the games was go right at him, force him to move through screens, force him to make – like see how mobile he is and see if he tires out. You know, it makes – it makes a lot of sense for them to be doing that to Chris Paul. This is part of why we always, every single year, have conversations about how different playoff basketball is than regular season basketball because the approach that these teams take against each other, this is just what you do, right? You found the mismatch. You found the way that you can, you think, get an advantage in the series. You keep hammering it home until it gets you to where you want to be. And, and this is the right thing to do for Chris Paul. I'm just surprised that Chris Paul, as experienced as he is, he always seems to know the right way to get himself out of a bad situation. And that's what he hasn't been able to do the last couple of games. They've gone right mm -hmm. at him, and he's been his, at his worst. And if he's at his worst, Phoenix can't win. And they, they are too good to be trapped in a series against a team than Dallas that, like Dallas that they're substantially better than. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And great situation for Dallas, evening the series to 2-2, two to two, getting some confidence in the supporting cast for Luka and realizing that they win when he doesn't have to do it all. So uh, I, I imagine Chris Paul will be much smarter with fouls as much as he – I thought for a second there we were going to have a superstar acknowledge his own uh, culpability in terms of fouls. But Chris Paul's quote started out that way. You know, I have to be – you know, I have to learn not to make those mistakes and put myself in a better position to not allow the officials to do that. 
That was what he said. So it started out, and it was like, oh, my God, he's going to he's gonna acknowledge that, you know, even if they were ticky-tack, he still put himself in the Oh, no, no, he doesn't want to put the officials in a position to do that, where they call things that he doesn't agree with, and then he follows out. Perfect. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The other series that we thought was all but over that is now tied up two games apiece is is the Sixers series with Miami. And listen, I had some folks in my Menchies uh, frustrated with me saying on Around the Horn today that I trust the Miami team more in a series that is all about swings. But that's just because this Sixers team has gone through so much this year. And Harden, we, we played the sound earlier. This is a young team in terms of its current layout. This is a team that has only been together for a certain number of, of weeks, really. And so... Whether or not Harden can replicate what we saw, which I doubt, 31 points, 16 in the fourth quarter, shot 60% from three, that's not just a, this is a throwback, that's like, this is not who he usually is in the postseason kind of game, Um, hitting six three-pointers in that one, Um, but he doesn't have to be that great, Uh, they can find some other help and even it out a little more, but they got to clean things up, Fitz, they still almost lost this game despite that performance because of all of the turnovers, and they had no answers for Jimmy Butler. Yeah, that's the surprising thing. Uh, look, I don't disagree with anything you said. If you had to tell me right now that I have to bet my house on either James Harden or Spolster moving forward, I take Spolster all day, every day. Like there, there, there's too yeah. much proof of concept of Harden disappearing in key moments, and until that that isn't part of the story, it will be part of the story, right? Like there's a hot take for you, but uh, I, you're absolutely right. Like Jimmy Butler played so well at, at some points, but the turnovers were alarming, but they just never got in the way. And I don't know how Philly won one of those games to me that you just sit there and say, how are they ahead in this game? And they were ahead because they got such great play, not just from Harden, but also because Embiid is back. And Embiid being back just revitalized the entire team. And we asked the question of what difference it would make, and everybody kept saying, hey, they can run the entire di- offense differently. And that's been absolutely the case. I just didn't think – I thought – Miami would be better situated to handle that and Miami would have a plan B for Embiid is here and he's taking over because I do give Spolster so much credit Mm. it didn't feel like they had that plan over those two games yeah and to me it was actually less about a plan for Embiid as it was about an answer to them trapping Tyler Hero this is a guy that can create for himself and on offense especially in the half court um, can make things happen And he was four for 12 for 11 points. And surprisingly, to your point about Spolstra and midseason, mid-series adjustments, he looked surprised and did not have answers for the trapping. The doubles of Tyler Hero completely put a a wedge in that, in the gear. What's the saying? Something in the gears? Anyway, something in their gears and their offense. A a thingy in the thingy. Something in the, the, something, what's the... Help me out, Internet. Uh, Something in the gears and the... Anyway, their offense didn't move as smoothly after that. And uh, I also, like I said before, this feels like a series of swings. The Heat have missed 51 of their last 63s. 51 of their last 63s. Meanwhile, Philly, who went 14 for 64 from three in the games in Miami got to Philly and went 16 for 33. That's a 54 point swing. That's a 54 point swing just for Philly three point shooting while the heat can't hit from anywhere deep. So that's a huge difference right there. But isn't that one of the common themes we're seeing across the playoffs? Like maddeningly inconsistent shooting. Like there are nights where up and down. 
and the Celtics. There's nights the Celtics shoot their way in. We've watched two games in this Celtics Bucks series where the Bucks look like they just they're incapable of shooting a basketball. So it's weird to me, and that's part of you know as we try and look at the the series so far and say, okay, what's next? That's hard to figure out when you have teams that are missing wide open looks some nights for no good reason. Like it's not always great defense. It feels like there are just times that guys just can't shoot right now, and I can't figure that out. Neither can I. That's the inconsistencies that are going to continue to make this a very hard postseason to predict. You and I will continue to make predictions, and when we are wrong, just like the beginning of this show, we will admit it. And we were wrong about both of those series. Oh, man. We're really going to tee up Giannis for staring someone down after a dunk? What are we doing here? That's the other thing, by the way. Inconsistent shooting, inconsistent officiating. Man, I I, I don't like to point the finger, but you have no idea how a game's going to be called in this postseason. Grizzlies Warriors, coming up right after we're done. We'll head out to the Bay Area and get you set for that next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ooh, just when you thought your night couldn't get any better. You get bonus Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Oh, things are good, Sarah. Things are good because we get to hang out for an extra 30 minutes to get everybody Ready all Extra the way up work. to nine thirty, right. and that's when. I mean, who? What's better? Than, in fact, How lucky are we? You, you want to keep going after that? Like you yeah, and I will just, just stay. On, even if no one's listening, let's just yeah, keep we'll talking just that, over the yeah. That's the way that works. Uh, we're, we're extra because we're, well, we're just extra in general, but we're longer because we're taking you oh up boy. to the beginning of ESPN NBA playoff action. We've got the Grizzlies and the Warriors coming up tonight on ESPN Radio. You don't want to miss it. We're going to get you ready for some of that action. Now, we're joined by Corey Alexander, ESPN NBA analyst. He'll be there uh, on the call. And, Corey, appreciate you hanging out with us. We just learned Steve Kerr is going to miss game four, testing positive for COVID-19. So what impact do you expect this to have on the Warriors tonight? Well, let me start with you guys turned the music off a little too early. I thought we had a party going on over there. And I like the, <laughs> the, the intro music. That's right. But it, it, I mean, I mean, we getting down with that. But I mean, the Steve Kerr impact is going to be big. I think a lot bigger than many people think. Now, this Warriors team has a tremendous amount of experience, but what you also think have to think about is the um, number of, amount of youth that they have on this team. When you start talking about Jordan Poole, still a young player, Jonathan Kaminga trying to get involved in the mix. Kevon Looney is not the oldest guy. He's got experience. He's got two rings, and he knows the system. But this is where the coach is important for. The coach isn't as important for Steph, Clay, and Draymond who have been through this, who have been through the battles and been through the fires. But it's more important for the younger guys who are such an integral piece of what they're doing right now. I think that's where his presence will be missed the most. So how do you think these teams will react to everything that went down with Ja? We know Morant is out now, Jordan Poole, and even some players on the Grizzlies claim that it didn't look like a dirty play and it didn't seem intentional, but there certainly seemed to be some riling up of the public and officials by the Grizzlies to try to activate some sort of punishment for Poole, maybe a suspension. Do you think that Poole will come out any less aggressive? Do you think that that behind the scenes from the Grizzlies might have an effect on the aggressiveness of the Warriors team overall? Well, Sarah, I was watching you on Around the Horn earlier today, and you guys <laughs> like showed. Conspiracy theory. You know, I was, I, I was stalking you. I was stalking you, but you guys showed the video of Ja Morant closing out. He jumps on a pump fake and he bangs knees uh-huh. with a warrior shooter. I'm not sure who it was. That's where he got hurt. Uh-huh. The Jordan Poole thing, and and again, I'm looking at it for the last couple of days. Yeah, I'm looking at it for the last couple of days, and again, I played this game a lot. 
that doesn't hurt. If that bothers <laughs> anything, it's going to be your hip. And so when I'm looking at that, I'm like, there's no way that this is how John Morant got injured until you guys showed that today. I was concerned. And then once I saw that, that's the reason he has knee soreness. That's the reason he's out. And so will Jordan Poole come out less aggressive? No. Jordan Poole is only, only has one speed. I've known him since high school. <laughs> he has one speed, and that is aggressive. He's going to be Jordan Poole. And he knows, more importantly, that he did nothing wrong. To therefore, to, that's going to make him be less aggressive. He'll probably be even more aggressive trying to prove a point in this game tonight. Well, but what about the refs? Do we expect that the refs, with all of this attention, does it really have any impact in your mind in the way the game gets called? Um, I'm going to go with no. And the reason I say that is because, again, and I'm not a referee basher, but I watched playoff games yesterday. The Dallas Mavericks-Phoenix Suns game may have been the softest called game I've ever watched in NBA playoff action. Three of Chris Paul's six fouls were terrible calls. The technical foul on Devin Booker, who follows through with his shot, and then his his arm just happens to touch Dwight Powell's head. He gets a technical foul for that. The referees were tricked so much in that game yesterday to where I'm looking at it like, and I'm not that guy to bash officials. So will it affect the, the game tonight? No, because I don't think that these playoffs have been officiated consistently. And I think, you know, we started off there in the first round. Everybody talked about, man, this is playoff basketball. They're letting them play. They're being more physical. Well, in the second round, it hasn't been that. It's been whistle happy. It's been blowing. And, again, the NBA has now become a charge-happy league. Mm -hmm. This is not the NBA that I played in years ago where you, you pretty much had to man up. You didn't sit there and try to bail out by taking charges. But, again, you could also hand check back then. So it's a, it's a little yeah. gentler league. I'll just say that. <laughs> I won't use the other word. But when you think about this, I don't think that any of this stuff will affect the officiating tonight. I think that each and every group that comes out into the game, and each game takes on a personality of its own, I don't think any of the chatter, any of the conversations, any of that kind of stuff will have anything to do with this game tonight. Great stuff from Corey Alexander, ESPN NBA analyst. He's getting us ready for this Grizzlies-Warriors game that's coming on right after we finish in about a half hour here. We were talking just a minute ago about the swings in this series, particularly the effectiveness and percentage of, of shooting from the Warriors. Did you see anything in their strategy or the Grizzlies' defense that would explain the massive difference between Game 2 and Game 3 for the Warriors? The biggest difference, honestly, Sarah, is the fact that Golden State is playing in San Francisco. Hmm. Role players shoot the ball better at home. If you look yeah. at the way they shot the basketball you know, on Saturday – the greatest shooter of all time was two for eight from three. <laughs> so, I mean, again, when you start thinking about the shooting, they put up historic numbers with the best shooter in the history of the game of basketball only shooting 25% from three. And that is because all the other guys stepped up and made threes. Everybody else stepped up and made shots because they're comfortable on their home floor. They didn't need Steph to have a big shooting night. Even though he had 30, he was aggressive attacking the basket, 14 to 14 from the free throw line. But it, it had more to do with everyone else getting in rhythm. Clay got in the rhythm. He started knocking down threes. Jordan Poole, of course, is knocking down threes. Everyone's getting involved in the action. That's the reason why they shoot over 60%. And, again, you know, historic numbers without the best shooter to ever do it having a big night. So, Corey, what's the adjustment you expect from Memphis tonight? The adjustment, Memphis is a better defensive team without Ja. And so what we've seen in this series is the fact that they have, you know, the, the – Warriors have attacked Ja 
on that end of the floor. They've gone at him. They've put him in a lot of actions, pick and roll actions, making him have to chase all these shooters off of screens. And then you look at the one-on-one matchups between he and Jordan Poole. Of course, Ja has embarrassed Jordan Poole at times when Jordan Poole has to guard Ja. But on Saturday night, Jordan Poole was going at him. And so when you think about it, th this Memphis team will be a better defensive team tonight. The problem for them is the Warriors are going to score. I'm not sure if the Grizzlies can score enough points to win this game here on the road. What do you think the biggest decider of this series is going to be? Uh, the biggest decider in this series is going to be <laughs> how long, uh, how many games it takes for the Warriors to win it. That, that's, that's the decision. Mm -hmm. Do they win it in five in wow. Memphis? Or do they have to come back here for a game six? I honestly feel like I, I felt coming into this series that Golden State was a better team, that they would win this series. It was simply about whether it would be six games or seven. Now the question is whether it's going to be five or six. Without Ja tonight, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Grizzlies to get a win here. And when you think about that going into game six, you know, th these Warriors have been there before. Even though they got some new pieces, the core is there. They've been there before, and they know not to play extra games. It's a strong possibility they'll close this thing out in Memphis. Real quick then, Corey, like what's the takeaway for the Grizzlies as an organization, the way this season is gone and the way this season ends? Like how do they end up feeling about everything? If you're the Grizzlies and you're the second seed in the, in, in the West this year and Taylor Jenkins is runner-up for coach of the year, which means that he'll win it next year. Monty Williams was runner-up last year. You have to say this was a successful season. You were the eight seed getting in last year, and you went a play-in game against the Warriors to get into the playoffs. This year you jump up to a two seed. You lost in the first round last year. This year you play in the second, second round. You've got an injured superstar who has put on a show in the second round of playoffs, but you had so many other players, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., all these guys stepping up in the first round when Ja wasn't great to help you get through to the second round. It's been a positive season for the Grizzlies. And one thing in about, about this league – no one gets there automatically. I mean, you look back into 2013, 2014, when this Warriors team was losing in the first and second round of the playoffs. They were learning those lessons of how to win moving forward. That's what the Grizzlies are going through right now, and I believe that this team will be back next year stronger than ever. I just don't think they have enough in the arsenal right now to, to beat this Warriors team. You can follow him on Twitter at Corey Alexander VA. And, of course, hear him on the call tonight. Corey, really appreciate your time and your insight. Have a great call. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, Corey. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Sarah. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Warriors host the Grizzlies presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. John Morant is out tonight. Mike Brown is in charge of two teams Warriors Grizzlies is going to be wild. We'll explain it all next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Giannis is doing Giannis things right now, and that is never a good sign for the opposing team. Maybe a couple questionable foul calls yeah. as he makes his way to the basket, but he is very difficult to stop. Bucks are up 76-65 with about three minutes to play in the third. Giannis at 28 points, 14 boards, three assists. And just two turnovers tonight as the Bucks try to take a 3-1 series lead over the Celtics. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz, too. Yes. I, just, I just was going to just blow right past that. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Um, funny thing is going on right now as we speak, as we prep for this Grizzlies-Warriors game. And again, that's going to come to you in about 14 minutes here, right here on ESPN Radio. 
is uh, the unfortunate part, Steve Kerr out with COVID. The funny thing, the unique thing is that today, this afternoon, the Sacramento Kings announced that Warriors assistant Mike Brown would be their next head coach. Vitz and I had a nice back and forth earlier about the challenge he's put on himself, the team with the longest playoff drought in the history of the NBA. Can he be the man to show them the way? Well, he's going to get a little extra practice before that head coaching position starts because on the same day he was announced the head coach of the Sacramento Kings, he's been announced the head coach of the Warriors for tonight, taking over for Steve Kerr. I assume that there will be no tomfoolery and no chicanery, no hijinks, no any other words that mean the same thing. Uh, and that he will be dedicated to the Warriors getting that win. Uh, there's no, no nothing that serves him by sabotaging uh, to get out in advance of his King's, uh, King's occupation. No, this is more like, and Sarah, you can appreciate this. You live in a great city, right? Like Chicago is a great, great city. And when somebody announces they're leaving Chicago, let's say to move to Paducah, Kentucky. No offense, Paducah. Oh, I love my you. My sister had a boyfriend uh, in but, Paducah, Kentucky in high school. Oh. That, that see, we met in Hilton Head. That's a very wow. random place for you to break. Well, it, let's say you know your friend comes in and says, "I'm moving to Paducah." Like there's a there's a difference. <laughs> like my my you know Mike Golick Jr. decides he's going to leave Connecticut and move to L.A. Everybody says, "Oh my gosh, good for you! You're going to beautiful weather. Like this is amazing, right? Like you're going to love it over there." When somebody's leaving a place like L.A. for a place like Connecticut, usually there's a different party. That's what's happening for Mike Brown right now. Everybody's like, "Look, you're leaving Chicago." To go to Paducah. You're leaving the Warriors <laughs> to go to a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 16 years, right? Like, that's a much of – this is a going away present. This is like, let's take you to the nicest restaurant, then we're going to go to the club, and we're going to, like, experience some club-like <laughs> activities. We're going we're gonna to show you how good the good good can be so that you have that lasting memory while you're yeah. suffering through something that's not quite as good good. <laughs> that is fair. He gets a chance to coach a real team in a real city with a real shot before making his way to the Kings. Uh, but it is uh, an interesting situation. Brown's going to, of course, finish this playoff run and always planned to before starting full-time with the Kings, but takes on a different meaning tonight as he takes over. Um, and it was interesting uh, to kind of talk about the effect that it has on the team. Corey Alexander specifically talking about some of the younger guys. I think, thankfully, for that team, they have been with Steve Kerr for a long time. They have another coach on the court in Steph Curry. They have veteran guys in Draymond and Clay that know what to do, and they've been in this situation. It's a little bit easier job than if you were taking over a young team like the Grizzlies, say, and a coach in Jenkins who hasn't been there long. Yeah, uh, also, of, it should be ahead. noted quickly, I would say, as all kidding aside, to have an assistant coach that can step in and coach a playoff game right. that just got a new head coaching job speaks to his ability to like mm -hmm. that. There, there is some level of tip of the cap. Like that's a great that's a great luxury to have a coach that is that good. So you know, we if also you're a Warriors that, fan, you feel good. We also know that Steve Kerr has had plenty of folks step in for him. We remember the mm, long yes. time that Luke Walton spent um, in his stead on their record-breaking season. Steve <laughs> Kerr got all the credit for that. Um, but Mike Brown actually has stepped in before. I think he has a 13-0 record um, in the playoffs when he has stepped in as, as head coach of the Warriors. So pretty decent. Uh, Going to try to add to that tonight. Uh, speaking of coaching, and it's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, an intrepid young reporter uh, broke the news of the NBA's coach of the year and it was Devin Booker. Uh, Devin Booker <laughs> deciding to scoop everyone today. I'm sure Woj sent him a message thanking him very little for that, but he posted about five hours ago, Phoenix Suns coach Monty Williams has been voted the NBA's coach of the year. Book tells sources. 
a formal announcement is expected later today. So he, first of all, he's telling sources, not sources right, tell him. Right. And third person book uh, is is it, go, talk about himself. Um, so yeah, uh, good news, good news for for Monty Williams. And by the way, uh, this in a related story. Uh, Williams also suggesting after last night's interaction between Chris Paul's family and a and a fan who got re- removed from the game that there should be special seating for players' families, and I don't think that's a half bad idea. I think that's a great idea and a manageable idea. That's an attainable yeah. idea because I'll go back to the music business uh, when when you're touring, the band always gets a certain section of seats that are for family. So it's not just willy nilly like most of those seats are, are predetermined. For a particular reason, there's no reason that the NBA couldn't do the same thing for families or every, uh, you know, every arena can figure out some sort of a box situation. There's got to be a way to keep families in an environment where they feel safe and special in an, in an incredible moment. It also takes that off the mind of the players. They don't have to worry about it. Like mm-hmm. that's a win for everybody involved in every single arena. Every single stadium should be looking at this like it's a it's a very basic benefit to let the people that play these games have the opportunity for their families to come support and see them they should have the opportunity to do that and Fitz I think everybody's had the right response to hearing that that this is frustrating that this is uncalled for that this is can't be uh, can't be allowed and of course as we've seen fan interaction since COVID be extremely aggressive and out of out of place at times that's how we saw it I, I was curious for more details and the most I've heard since is that the Mavericks have said two fans quote attempted to give unwanted hugs and have conversations with members of the Paul family. My guess is not genuine hugs, and my guess is not even sexual hugs. My guess is, oh, he's having such a bad game. Do you want a hug? You know, oh, Chris Paul fouled out. Do you want, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And, again, I can't imagine anything worse than my husband, father, son, whoever, having an absolutely trash game that they have fouled out of and played poorly in and lost and having some moron fan chirp at me from right in front. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for home court advantage, but still being a human being and respecting the game, respecting opponents. I like the fun between, you know, the fathers of the players in some of the earlier series, some jamoke teen jag who wants to, you know, be rude to his family. There's really no excuse for that. Yeah, and, and to be very clear, even if you believe that players have to withstand certain levels of heckling, their families don't and their families shouldn't like I, I even as a fan it's hard for me when i've been on a tour bus and somebody decides right after a raiders loss that's the time to trash talk me i've lost my cool with good friends i can't imagine being there right, with a stranger right. after you know a, a moment where it's family like that that's just like we could all just afford to take a step back and i don't know be human beings yeah. I, just, I don't it's, it's do that by the way um when I people either. I know have lost, I celebrate my win. I'm obnoxious about my enthusiasm for my team. I don't text friends. I don't call them. I don't walk past fans in the stadium and yell in their face when their team loses, especially big games, because it hurts and it sucks. It really does. And I don't want people to do that to me when my team loses, you know? So, yeah. you know, again, celebrate yourself and, and then especially family members, just a mess. The road to the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunez go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.